we are focusing in on solutions as well. In a moment, we'll talk about one of those solutions and how it could alleviate the crisis in some emergency rooms. I'm with you from Winnipeg, where lengthy wait times have plagued many of our emergency departments recently. But the situation at this province's big trauma hospital, the Health Sciences Centre, this past weekend was dire. I spoke today with Dr. Sean Young, who's chief operating officer of that facility, and I asked him about how they got through Sunday evening. Uh, They had to do a lot of problem solving, especially over Sunday night, to be able to figure out who is the most in need and where can we treat them. And so we did move some patients into other areas um, to be able to support those that were the most acute and the most in need. Did anyone die? Uh, Not that I'm aware of. Has anything arisen to a critical incident? Um, I can't comment on that yet either, but uh, but we do have safety concerns. There are there are a lot of patients waiting for a long time for care, and it's they're waiting in the sometimes they're waiting in the waiting room, and sometimes they're they're in the department itself, and we just don't have the ability to get to them um, the way we used to. I mean, we used to have a lot more staff to be able to care for the same number of patients. Now we have sometimes half the staff to be able to treat the same number of patients. So care is different. That's Dr. Sean Young from Winnipeg's Health Science Centre. With us is Dr. Sasha Badia, the Population Health and Value-Based Care Executive with Ontario Health. Doctor, good evening, and thank you so very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Richard. This is one of those situations where I'm sure you've heard from colleagues very much like what Dr. Young was just describing with us. Yeah, I definitely, uh, you know, have heard uh, from a number of colleagues, uh, have seen it when I've been, uh, you know, in the emergency rooms. I'm a practicing cardiologist. Um, Certainly the system, uh, you know, across the country, uh, hospitals are under, and ERs in particular, under pressure. Now, of course, I think most of us know the problem. So part of our Code Blue series is talking about some of the ways that we can either alleviate or solve the crisis. And let's talk about virtual health care. And, and frankly, the revolution that we saw during COVID. And uh, I remember doing stories about this five and 10 years and saying that it is coming, it is coming. Well, it is already here in a big way. What is virtual health care and what is it not? That's a, that's a great question, uh, Richard. And, you know, I, I've been a researcher prior to my role in virtual care for a number of years. And we'd always talked about the idea of it's coming, as you said. How do we get people to use it? Um, and you're right. It's absolutely here now with, with a bang. Um, basically, the way I describe virtual care is any care uh, that's given by a provider uh, to a patient that is separated by either time and or space. So, uh, you know, a lot of people think, you know, virtual care has to involve fancy technology. It doesn't necessarily. Virtual care can be care that's delivered over a telephone, by text, by video. Uh, the modality almost does remote monitoring. I mean, a lot of it doesn't matter the real uh, you know, key there is, is a provider and a patient able to communicate 
where they're not, the patient doesn't have to be absolutely in front of the person at the exact same time that that care is being delivered. And that opens up the possibility to many different ways and new ways of delivering care. Couldn't agree with you more. But I also think about we are such a reactive system right now. We focus in on the ER because that's where people show up. Uh, I know as part of the Code Blue series, the need for more family physicians, for that ongoing relationship that you would have with your doctor or the nurse practitioner, that care team, so that if you're not feeling well, that you can make that phone call and get that appointment the next day or get that virtual care checkup the next day. So a lot of this needs to be a relationship that starts in families' lives as opposed to it getting to the emergency room on a routine basis. Would you agree? Uh, Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, You know, virtual care uh, in many ways built into, you know, the way that we deliver primary health care, either, you know, for most Canadians across the country, that's the relationship with their family doctor, might be a nurse practitioner, might be, you know, a care team, building in innovative ways of seeing people, not just having to go to the office face-to-face, opens up a tremendous number of possibilities when you do it in an existing care relationship. A great example is I'm sure many of your listeners, Richard, have been, you know, sitting in a doctor's office pre-COVID waiting to get things like routine prescriptions or getting test results that are normal. I mean, think about all the time that you have to take off work, the time that you have to go sit in a doctor's office for like a minute appointment. A lot of that information could be communicated over the phone, could be communicated via video or other sort of methods that save patients time and, frankly, open up the system to be able to see more urgent patients face-to-face. Are there rules and regulations standing in the way of us adopting this in a larger way? Well, you know, uh, it's a great question. Uh, From, uh, you know, the pandemic you know, really was a source of tremendous innovation with this. Because we, you know, we were so afraid of getting other patients sick and healthcare workers sick, virtual care was seen as a massive tool to, um, you know, really be able to protect the population while at the same time ensuring that patients actually got access to care. So what we did was most provinces, uh, Manitoba, Ontario included, adopted virtual care in terms of billing codes uh, in 2020 uh, that allowed physicians to to bill for uh, virtual visits. Um, That was a major step forward. And we also did it in a way that didn't uh, require, you know, expensive technologies. People could use the phone. They could use what they had. So we didn't have to do big technology installs. Now, as we move into a time when I think we're moving, uh, you know, into a, into a, I don't want to say yet a post-pandemic era, but as we're thinking about the future, some of those temporary measures, the billing codes, you know, some of the regulations around, around how you would use virtual care, we need to make permanent into practice. And that's, I think, the work that's happening now. 
A physician friend of mine brings up a very good example. He said, wouldn't it be wonderful if for, uh, let's just say you have a skin rash, that you can take a picture or a video of it with your phone, upload it, and then suddenly you've got a doctor that can say, hmm, I suspect it could be this or that. You're not giving the full diagnosis, but you're narrowing that down and you're doing that referral and you are streamlining that system. Imagine that done routinely and the hours that it saves. Absolutely. So, in fact, that isn't science fiction. That's happening, you know, in hospitals in Ontario and, and, and dermatology clinics uh, right now. We have what we call teledermatology, and it's really useful, particularly because you can get there are certain parts of, in, in Ontario, anyways, of the province that um, have very limited access to specialists like dermatologists. So family doctors are often struck, stuck with, uh, you know, rashes, for example, or, you know, things that they need some help with. We've set up a system now that allows patients to, or it allows doctors, like family doctors, to upload those pictures and get a specialist opinion within 24 hours. And I think that makes a huge difference because before that, patients would have to travel sometimes, you know, hours to actually ha- and wait months to see a dermatologist. So that's an example of some of the efficiencies that virtual care can provide. This is Code Blue and Virtual Care, helping to alleviate the stress on Canada's emergency rooms. Richard Cluche, Ben O'Hare, burn more from Ben in our next hour. As we continue with Dr. Sasha Badia here, one wonders how we extend this to the ER because I think we're using examples of the doctor's office, but I think of the stacked ER, I think of all those who end up there waiting for service. How can this help alleviate those waits? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so one of the, the you know, innovations that we've piloted in Ontario is uh, we've funded uh, 14 what we call virtual urgent care programs. These are attached to existing emergency rooms all across the province, and they're staffed by either ER physicians or nurse practitioners that work in the emergency room. And what they do is they provide a service that for a lot of patients, you know, who, are, who have a medical complaint, you know, their doctor's office might be closed, it's after hours, and they're debating you know, is this something serious that I need to go to the ER for? This is a service that, uh, that allows you to be seen by an emergency room physician, either by video, as I said, or by phone, by virtual means, to get a history, to really be able to suss out the problem, and either be able to solve it in that video visit or to then triage a physical visit into the eMERGE. And I think that's an example of an innovation that has been, that patients love. We've done studies to show that it has great, great satisfaction because who wants to go to the emergency room if they don't need to, but also help take some of the pressure off of our emergency rooms by being able to treat people in their own home. And, and doctor, um, my questioning goes to 
who the target audience is here, because in our many of our emergency rooms, especially in inner cities, we're dealing with the vulnerable, um, the ones that need time, that need sometimes not just emergency services, but social services. And mm-hmm. there have to be solutions on, on that side. So part of this is um, the candidates for virtual care, because some mm-hmm. people some people really need in-person care, and that was lacking during the pandemic. So part of this is to kind of educate each other and educate ourselves as to who specifically this is targeted to. Yeah, great. That's a a great point. Um, So first off, I mean, obviously not every issue can be solved through virtual care. I mean, some issues, uh, you know, require, uh, as you say, face-to-face, you know, in-person care. Uh, There are certain interactions that you're going to have with, uh, you know, a patient that requires you to sit down and talk to them, to examine them, to really be able to, you know, help work through some of the physical issues and potential social issues that they have. Um, So I think uh, it is a big part uh, of our work going forward as virtual becomes uh, you know, a mainstay of how we deliver care is who should get virtual and, and you know, what, what types of encounters are for people, you know, that really should be face-to-face. Having said that, I think, you know, there's often this idea that, you know, virtual care is really for the well-to-do, uh, you know, and really is for those who are affluent because they can afford technology. But I can tell you, you know, as a practicing clinician, uh, virtual care uh, has been great, actually, for a lot of my patients who, um, you know, are, you know, say, for example, working, um, you know, jobs that don't allow them time off to really be able to see their doctor. And, uh, you know, they don't have to take four hours off of work and, and come into hospital. We have a number of patients, you know, especially new immigrants from other countries, you know, where cell phones and, you know, are, are, and smartphones are, are an ingrained part of, you know, culture and practice that they're actually very comfortable, you know, communicating that way. And in fact, virtual care is a very, you know, is, is actually very easy, uh, you know, in, in that regard. So I want to be careful and say, oh, well, it's, you know, virtual care can only be useful, you know, for those who, who are very affluent. I actually think there are many examples of where we can use virtual care to reach people who are actually harder to reach and may even be more vulnerable. Yeah, and that's through um, social workers, people that work within these communities, that's through shelters, that's really bringing the ER through uh, communication through these devices right directly to, to individuals and that can be done through community paramedicine and so many other ways of doing this because you know we always think about the bricks and mortar ER that is so yesterday but we're still stuck in that realm we have to really start moving ahead here and really think about this a whole lot differently and we are doctor absolutely we are yeah there's a lot of work and I'm glad you brought up community paramedicine because again virtual isn't You know, if there's one thing I'll leave your listeners with is virtual care isn't just about technology. It's about re-engineering the way we deliver services into our community. It's about connecting the eMERGE, the paramedics, 
you know, family doctors and all the different parts of the system using technology to enable better flow of information between all those parts and patients. So it's not about the fancy bells and whistles of smartphones and, you know, remote monitoring and sensors. It's just actually changing the way that we communicate. Yeah, and I think about uh, the opportunity that we have right now. Out of crisis uh, comes the necessity to change. And I think you're seeing that not only at your level, but right across this country. We have to embrace change because the status quo is not working. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, this is, you know, the, the current crisis that we have across the country uh, is, is, first of all, not just a Canadian problem. I mean, there is, uh, you look in other countries and we communicate with a number of other countries and they're all facing the same challenges around uh, health human resource shortages and, you know, not having enough doctors, nurses and whatnot. But also, you know, you also start to see the innovation that we can drive because you're absolutely right. We're not going to be able to come out of this crisis doing things exactly the way that we did it before. We need to embrace change. And frankly, so many other industries have embraced change faster than healthcare, and we're just catching up. You can follow him on Twitter at Sasha underscore B-H-A-T-I-A. Dr. Sasha Badia, great to meet with you. And thank you so very much for contributing to this series and joining us this evening. Be well, my friend. Thanks so much for having me.